Today I want to talk to you about uh, the title of the message called For Such, For Such a Time as This. For Such a Time as This. It comes from the book of Esther. Uh, we were kind of having uh, that moment in life, things were happening and some things, situations going on. And then God reminded me of this passage, this phrase. I told my wife and said, hey, man, God brought us to this for such a time as this. This is all God, God planned. God did this. And we got to trust the Lord, you know. And then so the Lord spoke to my heart about, hey, you need to preach that. Preach that to your church. So I want to talk to you about for such a time as this from the book of Esther. Now, the amazing fact about the book of Esther is that in all 10 chapters of that book, um, there's no mention of God. God's name's not in the book. But it's an amazing book because God is behind the scenes. And God did that for a reason, I believe. I really do. God had that book written that way for whatever reason the author chose to do that, to know that God's behind the scenes working. Now, there's four major characters in the book of Esther, and you've got to kind of understand them to kind of know what's going on. Four people are, um, yeah, there they are. King Ahasuerus, right, he's the king of Persia. He uh, ruled around 480 B.C. for about 20 years. Um, he, the, what happened is something happened with the queen or one of the queens that we kind of understand the history. He had several, like most of those kings back at that time. And uh, so he wanted a new favorite. So he uh, had them go and scout the, the country, uh, the kingdom, for a new fair maiden that he could wed. And so this process took about a year, they say, for all this to happen. Now, the other person is Queen Esther. Now, obviously, she wasn't queen at first. She was just a plain, ordinary Jewish girl, a Jewish maiden. And through God working behind the scenes and all that, she got chosen to be in the group. And eventually, she came before the king, and he reached out the scepter, and he said, yeah, you're the one. You're the one I want. And she became queen. Mordecai, Mordecai is Esther's uncle. She was an orphan. And Mordecai raised her as his own daughter, loved her and took care of her, and gave her advice and, and tried to, to lead her to do what's right. Haman is the bad guy in the book. He's the enemy of the Jews, and he despised Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow down when he walked by. He was on a, probably a little bit higher um, place in the kingdom, and Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And so he sought to, he knew Mordecai was a Jew, and he thought, I'm going to get Mordecai, I'm going to get his people, I'm going to kill these. And so he kind of fooled the king in making a de decree, and a decree back in that time by the Persian Empire cannot be undone. Once that thing is written, it's done. Even the king can't undo it. And he got the king to sign off on a decree that on a certain day, a few months out, that everybody in the kingdom could rise up and kill the Jews, could, could, could kill the Jews and take their property and take whatever they had. And his whole intent was to wipe out the Jews everywhere, to, to totally obliterate the kingdom of Israel once and for all. Now, the... Um, the thing that's kind of a, a neat little side note is that the king 
And Haman didn't know Esther was a Jew. Mordecai had told her to keep that hidden whenever she went before him and did all that. And so Mordecai finds out about this decree that's been issued. And because he can't actually see or go to Esther, it's probably been a few years since all this happened that she became queen, he um, has to use messengers. And they, that's the first messenger. I don't even know that right here, the book of Esther. Use messenger. And they had to uh, use messenger to communicate back and forth. And in this, this is what Mordecai says to her in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He says this, and Mordecai told them, told those messengers to answer Esther. Okay, let me, let me tell you some backstory here real fast. Okay, he said, hey, you need to go before the king. You need to tell him, hey, what's going on? And she said, if I go before the king, uh, I'm dead because you cannot go before the king unless he calls you. You're dead. No one survives unless he holds out a scepter. Gives you grace. And so this is what Mordecai tells her when she tells him that. He says, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise, arise for the Jews from another place. Isn't that pretty cool? I don't know how big God is and how he works. But you can't foil God's plan. I'm just telling you right now, you can't fool God's plan. God has a plan. Now, the details and how he does it, only he knows. But you can't fool God's plan. You know what? If you don't get on board with God, I'm just telling you the truth. He'll get somebody else. He'll get somebody else, and his plan will be done. It might not be through you. It might not be through me. But he'll get somebody. He says, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house, he's talking about himself too, will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to talk to you about for such a time as this. All the mess in your life and all the good stuff in your life has come about for such a time as this. All those things that's happened to you that's gone on maybe from yesterday to 10 years ago. They've all come about for such a time as this. God has a purpose and a plan. God has a purpose and a plan. And God's purpose and his plan is a means to an end. A means to an end. In my experience, in my experience, this is Casey, the backup pastor, all right? Number two, Doug says, I call you number two for a reason, all right? And we know what that means, okay? In my experience, God's plan and God's purpose is both reassuring and quite terrifying. You ever uh, heard of a Plinko? <laughs> Boy, it'd be terrifying if your life was a Plinko, right? If God just took a little disc on there and just said that sucker go, you know? Uh, you know, you know one, one is a good job. <laughs> Two is a, a deathly illness. Three is, you know, good looks. I, I got that one when it came down. Four is a, ba- a failed marriage. 
You know, five is bankruptcy. You know, thank God life's not a plinko. God doesn't set the little disc in there and plink, 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 plink. Comes the result of your life. That's not how God works. I say respectively, there is method in the Lord's madness. He has a purpose and a plan. Now, the reassuring part is like found in Jeremiah chapter 29, where he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. There was one time I didn't believe that. To give you a future and a hope. You know, this promise that was given to Israel, you can clearly see this promise in the principles and promises of the New Testament. God has promised that he has thoughts of you, of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And sometimes it doesn't look like, man, the way things are going, man, Lord, where where are you? Where's the peace and the hope? Where's the future in this? But see, God has allowed all those things for such a time as this. The book of Proverbs, there's a passage that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And trust the Lord. And thank God it's not the plinko. God has a purpose and a plan. And that should be comforting to you. Comforting to me to know that God has a hope in the future for you. Okay? Now here's the scary part. Acts chapter 7, when Stephen told his audience who eventually killed him, he said, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You can resist what God's purpose and plan is for you. That's what's terrifying. God's not going to grab you by a dog collar or a shot collar, right, and just buzz you till you come back when you jump over the fence and run across the neighbor's house, right? God says, I allowed you to resist me. I I allow you to push back on my purpose and my will for your life. That's terrifying. I tell you what, it's it's a scary thing when God gives you what you want. You know, the whole uh, series that Doug talked about, about, uh, about slaying your giants, that whole ordeal about King Saul and, and all that he did and, and all the, the trouble that he had, he was a result of the people saying, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And God says, I got a king for you, but it's not right now. I got a king for you. He's coming on. He's a shepherd boy. He's going to be coming on later on, but this is not the king. And they're like, no, we want a king. We want a king, God. We want a king like everybody else. And God said, fine, I'm going to give you what you want. And he gave him King Saul. What's that, what's that lady? What's that little girl from uh, Willy Wonka? Veruca. Veruca Salt. I want it now. Right, that's how we get. That's how we get. But God has a purpose and a plan. Now, the comforting part, again, is this plan has, it's with forethought. It's with forethought. 
It's reassuring to know that God had forethought in your life. And you're thinking, man, I don't know some of the mess I'm in or I've been through. Did God really think that through? Well, you know, again, God gave you that choice. And sometimes when you made bad choices, God said, I knew you were going to make that bad choice. But I got this over here, man. I'm going to try to get you back. Now, I know you did that stupid thing. But I got something here coming down the line for you to get you, help you, encourage you. God's purpose and plan is forethought. Thank God it's not on a, on a whim, a roll of a dice, all right, the chip of a plinko. God thought about your life. And in Psalm chapter number 40, verse 5, it says this. It says, many, O Lord, my God, are your, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And God's thoughts for you, you, you can't number the thoughts that God thinks towards you. Now, I, 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 had, the, I had the internet do some math for me. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just, I just picked a number, okay, 74 years. That's pretty good. I got about 20 more years to get to that or so, Okay. 74. Some, some might be longer. Some might be maybe earlier than that. 74 years. 74 years. Let's see here. That is 2 billion, right? 333 million, 664 thousand seconds. In 74 years. So if God thought about you for every second, I'm going to help you get that car payment. And that job's coming up. I know you kids are having trouble. Uh, that uh, person been talking at work, I'll, I'll, I'll see to that. I mean, just think about every thought, every second. God thought about you. But the Bible says that God thinks of you more than can be counted. So God doesn't think of you once a second. Could be a hundred times a second, a million times a second, a billion times a second. God's thinking about you. You can't count them. God is thinking about your life. He knows what you've gone through, He knows what's ahead. That's comforting to know. That all the things that happen and all our dumb mistakes, right? God is still able to use that for such a time as this. And that's what he's doing. God is thinking about you. So not only is there forethought in God's purpose and plan, but also there's intervention. Intervention. God has chosen to intervene in your life. In the book of Esther, you, know, you don't really see it, right? Because God's not mentioned. But here he is behind the scenes working, doing things. Now, the definition of intervention. The definition of intervention is to become involved intentionally in a difficult situation in order to change it, improve it, make it better. See, it's not just God thought and thinks about you. 
but he intervenes in your life. He intervenes to make a change. He intervenes to actually make things better, believe it or not. He's trying. God is trying to intervene in your life. But again, he gives you that free choice. He gives you that decision to resist him. In Romans chapter 8, now we always go to verse 28 and, you know, about all things work together, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul says this, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and, and who also makes intercession for us. Man, God provided the greatest act of intercession, right, when Christ died for us, rose again the third day, went to sit at the Father's right hand, the resurrection. God did all that. Christ did all that. He intervened in our life. Man, that's the greatest intervention. How much is it, you know, more to intervene in our life in every day? It's, it's nothing. I mean, he's already intervened in our salvation. He intervenes in our life every day. You just might not see it. You know, Jesus told his followers, he said, hey, look, man, you see the, see the birds of the air flying around there? See those, see those flowers that need to be pollinated and all that stuff just to, to grow and continue on? A flower, a bird. The Bible says God thinks about them and plans for them to be able to survive and make it. How much more will God do for you? God intervenes. And I'm telling you, God is intervening for such a time as this. For whatever you're going through in your life this day, this week, this month, God is intervening for such a time as this. He has a purpose and a plan. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 12, he said, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, the city of Troas, to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. And God opened a door for me, Paul says. Man, it, 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 I didn't think anything was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, you know, what's the use or whatever? But God opened a door. God opened a door for me. And I'm telling you, God desires to open a door for you. Maybe you can't see that door right now. Maybe it looks like the enemy, like Mordecai and them, is about to come down and they got a plan to destroy you. And man, God, where are you? I'll tell you, God's got a door for you. You have to trust him. You have to believe that he's thinking about you. He's going to intervene on your behalf. Now, I said all that to introduce what we're going to talk about this time. All right? This, such a time as this. For such a time as this, this is a time to take action. The time to take action. You know, God leads us to crossroads of decision, crossroads of eternal consequence. Esther had a choice to be made. Brian T., the rapper, he had a choice to, to make. It came to crossroads. In my young married life, you know, I had our first little kiddo, Cody, and, and I was a gamer. 
was, I was, in, you know, back then, you know, just little Nintendos and things like that, a little Nintendo system or whatever, some old 386 computer, you know, with little, you know, <laughs> little kind of deals. And I'd stay and I'd play all that. And my, and I used to get Nintendo, okay, I used to get Nintendo magazines in the mail. My wife would see me, I'd go out there every day and look and, ah, man, it's not here. You know, once a month, that Nintendo magazine. And I'd come and, and I had all these. She decided to take my Nintendo magazines and make a dress out of them. And wore them and came out. You notice me now? It's me or the games, boy. You're on a crossroads of a decision of eternal consequence. Make a decision. And there's all my Nintendo magazines, man, taped to her body. (laughs) And I made a decision. There's a reason why our second child wasn't born for two years later. (laughs) It has a consequence of it that I had to pay. But I saved my Nintendo magazines. Right? It's time to take action. Time to make a decision. Okay? Joshua told them in Joshua chapter 24, whenever they came over, Moses' successor, right? They came over the river to the promised land. And all those people followed him. He says to them, he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for, you, choose for yourselves this day, this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's time to take action. It's time to make a decision. Today's the day. You know, God has brought all these things and you know, maybe you might not see it, and I'm not trying to, you know, pull some hocus pocus, you know, and little stuff like that, but I'm just saying that the God that I believe that you aren't here for it by accident to hear this. Today's the day to make a decision. Time for action. You know, just as us Christians made the decision to trust Jesus, I tell you, that, that was an instantaneous, one-time deal that changed your life. Now, are you perfect? No. Do you struggle and things happen? Sure. All right? It, it's, it's, a pro, it's, it's a process, the Christian life. Excuse me, the Christian life. It's not, it's not instantaneous change, but it's an instantaneous decision. I think that's with many things in my life. It came to a crossroads. I finally said, you know, today I'm going to get rid of that in my life. Today is going to be the day I'm going to start that. Today is going to be the day that I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do what God's told me to do. Now, yeah, did I falter? Sure. But I tell you what, that decision that I made has stuck with me. It's been in my heart. It's been a process. But it came to a day of decision. Today might be your day. Time to take action. Now, there is a decision in indecision. You know that. There is a decision in indecision. 
Indecision is still a decision. You know, as a green, and I've, we, I've taught that many times, all the different personalities. I'm a green personality, which is one of my flaws is indec- indecisive. Okay, except for that day. Get that off your body, woman. What are you doing? But many other times, it's indecisive. I struggle with that. Part of it, and not an excuse, but it's just the way I make it. Some people, man, make decisions. Even their bad decisions, they don't care. They make a decision. Got oh, make a decision today? Make it. Bad decision? Don't care. They made a decision. That's kind of a red personality. Right? But still, indecision is still a decision. You got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. Elijah says here in 1 Kings chapter 18, 21, he says, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, or I'm sorry, Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. They wouldn't decide. It doesn't matter. That was still their decision. Okay? There's a decision to be made. Now, let me tell you something that's, uh, that is part of the terrifying thing, and that is opportunity is limited. Opportunity is limited. You know, God might open a door, God might move, God might do circumstances around your life, and he's working things, and he gives you an opportunity. You come to that crossroads, and I'm telling you what, that, that opportunity to make a decision is limited. That might not always be there. You can't always count on that. You can't drag your feet with the Lord. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. That means there's a chance, that he, there's a time that you might not find him because the opportunity is lost. Call upon him while he's near. There might be a time when God is not as near as you think he is. I mean, he's near as far as in your relationship, but you know what? You're far from God in your walk, and man, no coming back. No, no, no making you know, the decision. You can't, you can't undo what was done. The opportunity is lost. The time to take actions now. Time is limited. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while his day for night is coming when no man can work. Even Jesus recognized that there are times and doors of opportunity that God opens. There's crossroads of decision that God gives. A crossroad of eternal consequence. You know, Christian, you might not have this opportunity to serve the Lord. You might not have the uh, strength, the health, the ability to do something for the Lord. Time to make a decision. Time to make a decision. Secondly, it's a time to make a difference. God has brought you to this point for such a time as this to make a difference. To make a difference. I've told this story probably, I don't know how many times, but I still love it. I'm going to tell it again. I'll make it quick, right? Little boy walking along the shore. The storm came, washed up all these um, starfish, all thousands of them along the beach, right? Little boy's picking up a starfish and throwing it in and picking up one starfish and throwing it in. There's 
thousands and thousands. Some old fella like me comes walking by and says, hey, little kid, you're wasting your time. What are you doing? Look at all these thousands and thousands. You're not going to be able to save all these starfish. You're wasting your time. And the little boy uh, you said you're not going to make a difference, right? The little boy picks up the starfish and throws it in the water and says, I made a difference to that one. Made a difference to that one. It's time to make a difference. It's time to make a difference for God's kingdom, Christian. Now I'm talking to new lifers. I'm talking to new lifers. All right, you join this mess. <laughs> All right, a bunch of crazy folks here at New Life. And there's no reason why we have people in our church who can only make one service a month because they're working three different ministries because we don't have enough people. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be for new lifers. It's time to make a difference. You're commanded by the Lord. You're commanded by God to make a difference. You know that, Christian? Can't get out of it. You're commanded, you know, I don't know if you knew that, but there's lots of commandments in the New Testament. We think, oh, the Old Testament's command. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about God's commandments that God commands Christians, man, to love one another, to pray, take up your cross, right? Jesus said to follow him, make disciples. All those are commandments. You're commanded to make a difference. Paul told Titus, in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, he told him this. He said, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. He's not saying that you've got to do good works to be saved. He's saying those good works, careful, that means full of care. That means it's on your mind, it, you're, you're concerned about it, it's, it's heavy on your heart, it's something that's prior to you. You're full of care, you're careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable men. These things are what makes a difference to people's lives. They're good and they're profitable. They change people. They make a difference. See, don't you see, Christian, that God has brought you to this point and all the things in your life and all that junk and stuff that God got you out of and got you through and you've been through and your mistakes and your, and your good decision and all that, God did all that to bring you about for such a time as this to make a, to make a difference in someone's life. You know, our marriage, you know, we filed for divorce and, and separated for six months. And that was the road that we were. And before, five days before the court appearing, we reconciled. And all the junk that we went through and all the things that we did and all the time we messed up our testimony and all that time. And God restored us, man. God did all that, allowed all that for such a time as this so that we can help other people to make a difference in someone's life. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use you for such a time as this. What can you do? Well, man, these, these three simple things, right? What you pray, what you say, and how you obey. It's that simple. What you pray, right? Paul told them in Colossians, um, he, he actually asked Christians to pray that God would open the door. He said, I'm going to this place, and it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to preach the gospel. Pray, you Christians, pray for me that God opened the door. Pray to make a difference. Pray to make a difference in someone's life. Man, get yourself a prayer list or whatever. God puts on your heart certain people, 
Put them on that list. Pray for them, man. Make a difference. What you pray, what you say. Proverbs chapter 18 talks about that death and life are in the the power of the tongue. Man, the words you say, you wouldn't believe how much difference a word you said. I, I appreciate the people that just today told me, hey, Casey, you're going to do okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I believe you're going to do all right. I appreciate that. Words of encouragement. And just what you say, man, makes a big difference. Encouraging somebody. Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your church family. What you say, what you pray, what you say, and how you obey. You know, Jesus himself said, I'm busy about my father's business. Hey, what are you doing, Jesus? I'm busy about my father's business. I'm doing those things that God wants me to do. And Christian, that you need to do. To make a difference, you've got to be busy about your father's business. Esther chose to make a difference, right? She chose to make a difference. Christian, it's time to, to make a difference. And the last one is the time of salvation. Time of salvation. You know, God, person, or person, <laughs> friend, you're in this building or online, and you're not a Christian, all that part of your life that you've gone through, the good times and the bad times, the heartache, the headache, the trial, the trouble, the tribulation, all those things God has brought about for such a time as this. A time of salvation. You know, the book of Esther, we come to find out, the book of Esther is written to tell the Jews how the Feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M, came about, that they celebrate. It's a two-day feast. And it came about because they were delivered by Esther going into the king and taking a chance and saving her people. So God has brought you, my friend, to this time, maybe to this church, for such a time as this, a time for you to meet the Lord face-to-face and person-to-person, to have that life-changing salvation experience in Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the author wrote, Behold, talking about Jesus, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is saying this. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You understand, back in that time, outside of marriage, the most intimate relationship or communication you can have somebody is to sit down and dine with him. And that's what the Lord's saying. He said, hey, I'm I'm at your door, man. I'm knocking. That car accident and that loss of that job and that heartache you have here and this trouble, that's me, man. I'm knocking at your door. I'm trying to get your attention. Man, that good job I gave you and that nice car and the health I gave you, man, I'm trying to get your attention. I've blessed you. It's me knocking at your door. I've done all that to bring you for such a time as this, a time to accept me. Time to trust me. Time to believe on me. Three simple things. God calls, the Spirit draws, Jesus saves. 
God calls, the Spirit draws, Jesus saves. All three of the Godhead work in bringing someone to Christ. God calls, the Spirit draws, Jesus saves. I, I like the picture of the bridge. <laughs> oh, man, hate to cross that sucker. Looks a little rickety, right? Now, it's one thing to say, I believe in that bridge. I've seen a couple of my friends go across it over there on the other side. And I've seen and heard about, I've read a paper that the engineers did on the strength and all that, and it's capable to hold my weight and all that. I believe in that bridge. I believe it can get me across. I'm just not going to get on it. <laughs> See, that's the difference about believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus. So you can believe Jesus is the Savior of the world and he died for the sins of the world. But did you believe on him to cross that bridge to get to the other side where the Father is? See, that's the difference. You can believe in the bridge, but to believe on the bridge, to get on the bridge, to get to the other side, that's totally different. It's totally different. You know, we always use the phrase, about making Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. A lot of people know Jesus is the forgiver of their sins, but they never, like, that, like he said on that video, he never really surrendered to, to Christ until after his brother died. He did a lot of religious stuff, and God came and, and showed him things, and he did some things, but he said he never really fully trusted him until after his brother died, and he saw that I kept all these things. I kept all this sin that I didn't want to give to God. And then he said, I finally surrendered it all to him. That's him crossing that bridge. The apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now listen, I'm not trying to make you to make a decision based on emotion, on obligation, especially not on manipulation. But I do want you to make a decision on conviction that you see that this is true. If you're a Christian, it's time to make a difference. It's time to make an action, time to do something, make a decision in my life to serve God. If you're not saved, that you're convicted that this is true, this is real. Man, that spirit of God is speaking to me. I've heard this, I know this, and I've seen God in my life. It's time for me to cross that bridge and come to Christ. Let's, let's pray. Father, again, I want to thank you, Lord, for the chance to come and preach your word. And God, I just pray, Lord, that even now, there are, is there people here that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? They've never made him the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. God, that today would be the day uh, that you've appointed for such a time as this, that they would make that decision. Lord, I pray you'd help Christians. Lord, to make a decision for you to serve, to get involved, to make a difference. God, give us power and the ability, Lord, to know your will, do your will, and accomplish your kingdom on this earth while we have time. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.